So I have been a huge fan of Truniagen for years, and that's why I am super excited to share that I've recently began partnering with them. I literally don't miss a day taking it. And if I were to only take one supplement, this is the one. And here's why. Our bodies produce a molecule called NAD, which is critical for our cellular energy and repair. But the levels sadly decline as we age. A nutrient that can help increase our NAD is a form of vitamin B3 called nicotinamide riboside, otherwise known as NR. It is the most efficient way to get this is through this Truniagen because it's the best NAD precursor around. Truniagen helps support our bodies against everyday stressors that can really damage our cells like overeating, drinking, staying up too late. In my opinion, no one is too young to take it. I wish I knew about this in my early 30s. And what's most amazing is that Truniagen is backed by 18 clinical trials and has endorsements of two Nobel Prize winning scientists. So go check it out at truniagen.com. That's T-R-U-N-I-A-G-E-N. And we have a special offer for new customers to receive $20 off orders of $100 or more using the code HUSTLE20. So definitely run, don't walk, and scoop some up now. Hi guys, it's Tony Robbins. You're listening to Habits and Hustle. Crush it. Today on the podcast, we have Pyle Kadakia. Uh, Pyle is with the most, I should say, one of the most impressive women I've had the pleasure of speaking to on this podcast. She is the founder of ClassPass, which is the leading fitness and wellness membership service platform in the world. It was acquired by MindBody in October of 2021. Prior to this acquisition, ClassPass had been valued at over $1 billion and members logging more than 100 million hours of workouts across 30,000 partner studios in over 30 countries. She's also the founder and artistic director of the Saw Dance Company, which was founded in 2009 with this mission to increase awareness of Indian dance and make it more mainstream. Pyle wrote her first book recently uh, called Life Pass, which is all about these her, her methodology of goal setting. And on the podcast, we talk about it. We talk about when she started to drop the what she should be doing and taking the pressure off of herself to achieve in the more traditional ways. That's when she really shined and uh, created success beyond uh, pretty much any anybody's uh, wildest dreams. Uh, she, like I said, she is extraordinary. What she's accomplished is extraordinary. And we talk about resilience, talking about failing and getting right back up and just persevering. This was a really, really interesting conversation. Pyle gives tons of stories about uh, the evolution of her career, where she, where she came from, um, what she started to do, uh, and how she how she built how she built this. I hope you enjoy this conversation. I really really enjoyed having it. So we have a really special guest for me on the podcast today. We have Payel Kadakia. Yes, did I say it correctly. Yes, he did. Who is the founder of ClassPass? And for me, being from the fitness world, I mean, you're like a, a legend. Seriously, uh, but you're also like a dancer, an artist. You like are you're super super. 
talented. And if it wasn't going to be class battle, like, like I said two seconds before, you were going to find a way, you're going to be successful anyway. So it's amazing to have you on this podcast. And Thank I'm you. like really, really excited to speak to you. So thanks for coming. I really appreciate that. And you know, the word success is an interesting word in general. And I do talk about this in my book. I think it's really about fulfillment. And I think I've always really spent my life thinking about what matters to me and doing that, which is at the end of the day, I think happiness looks the best, looks like the best kind of success. Well, I love that you say this. Oh, I should also say, yes, you're the author of a new book called Life Pass. And I told you, I read the book like from like page to every page. <laughs> and it was amazing. You gave some great uh, stories and uh, just a lot of tips on like goal setting and success. And what you just said, like the differences between success, fulfillment, having a rich life. There's it's not all just having money and, you know, having a nice car. Absolutely. And we're going to get all into that. But I want to start from the beginning, because like I said, your background, you weren't a fitness person. Nope. Right. And then you disrupted the entire fitness space obviously you, but you, but you're no dummy. I mean, you went to MIT, you got your degree in science. Is it science degree? In management science. Yeah. And then you went to Bain and you went to Warner and like, you kind of like did what was like supposedly, it seems like was you were supposed to do expected, right? Yeah. Cause you come from a background similar to me. You're, you're Indian, right? Like, yeah. And so I guess my, my first question to you, what I said, and you talk about this in your book is, you kind of built all those like experiences gave you the ability to even go into this and try this, even though you didn't come from the space. So talk about your background. Like you always loved dance and what yeah. dance taught you to do this. So, you know, I think this conversation really start with my youth and the fact that I always had parts of me that didn't always fit together. So one thing that was very prominent was I was Indian and I was American, which made me never feel like I was going to fit in. I had different communities for both. And, you know, it's really interesting. You said I had all these different parts to me. I didn't always feel confident in those. And I think it's important to address that because I think a lot of us have different parts of who we are, but we aren't always comfortable in those threads. Mm -hmm. But the output of actually when they finally all came together was this beautiful company that was created. And I think that's just important to uh, to really state. But, you know, when I really think back to like the different parts of who I am, I mean, dance was this place for me that gave me a place to belong. It didn't feel like a place where I had to be multiple people. I could be who I really wanted to be, truly who I wanted to be. I felt like I was growing, learning, connecting to my identity. And really, I think my life journey was about fighting the dance. And when I realized I could bring that fight to other people for whatever passion it was in their life, it just happened to be fitness, Right, I could transform something because I never really approached this problem. Like, let me transform the fitness industry. It was truly, how do I connect people to what I always had in dance? And right. that's what I was always fighting for because I knew what it did for me, right? And it gave me a place to belong, right? I'm sure you feel like that with fitness. It's it's this place that rejuvenates you an hour a day, whatever it might be. Finding that time makes something happen in your mind, in your body, right? In your emotions, that's so liberating. And I think once I knew that and I, you know, did the whole corporate ladder thing, I did the whole making my parents proud. And I think along the way, I met so many peers that, 
we're just kind of going through the motions and like living for a promotion at work or to get married and have kids. And by any, by no means is that wrong. It's just, I know society does that to a lot. Right. And here I was, this girl, when I was, you know, 22, I would have a dance show on the weekend, right? And I would be waking up on Saturday mornings after like long client meetings, all of that, waking up to dance from eight to 12 on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning. Like that, I committed my life to it, right? And I missed traveling. I missed brunch. I missed going out. But right. I was so fulfilled by what I was doing. And I literally feel like that was really the part of me that knew I had to solve this problem for other people because I felt that it gave me so much. So why wouldn't I want to build something that would give people so much of that same magic? Right. No, that makes sense. I mean, when did you start dancing? You were really, really small. Right? Yeah. So, and, and it's interesting, like there were different parts of dance in my life. So when I was three, I started doing Indian folk dance. So that was more of my, my dance teacher, who was my mom's best friend, getting right. together a bunch of little girls and we would practice in basements because there really was no formal Indian dance academy, right? It wasn't the right. same as ballet. And we would do dance competitions at like local schools in the area. There was even like, as we got older, some national dance competitions that emerged in the U.S. You were three nice. when you did that? Did no, it was like three to 17. Oh, so you were, how long were you with this woman? Because you talk about her in the book. I mean, she, I'm still with her. Like, like she's, she's a uh, somebody, and in India, we have this concept of a guruji, which is someone who bestows knowledge upon you. Right, right. And I consider her, of course, she's a dance teacher, but she taught me how to show up to life, honestly, right? That's really what the whole concept of the Guruji really comes from, right? right? I mean, we talk about that in yoga, right? Like a guru, it really comes from the sense of someone who is giving you knowledge, right? right? And knowledge in India, we, we talk about it very much as something that's so sacred, right? So when you have someone in your life like that, you the utmost respect you have is for that teacher. right? And so, yeah, she, she taught me Indian like, folk dances. And this is a really important part of my identity because being an, an Indian girl who was growing up in a town, literally, who was the only Indian girl there, I needed a place to know where I came from. Right. And yes, like my parents took me back to India every once in a while, but not enough. Like I was, I didn't know how to immerse and how to learn more about that part of me. And this is something I talk about in the book. I think sometimes when we struggle with parts of who we are, we want to hide them. Sometimes we want to, we want to totally erase it. Right. And I kind of realized by doing the opposite, which was learning about right. my heritage of Indian right. women I descended from also made me find the beauty in who I was. And once I found that, that's really what I feel like that form of dance did for me. There was another part of Indian dance, which was more like the Bollywood scene. Yeah, I was going to ask was you, emerging. what's the difference? Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's like folk dance. Like it's like ballet versus like hip hop, right? Okay. It's just like different forms. And Bollywood is obviously more mainstreaming and commercial. The Indian folk dance and classical stuff I was doing is just more like the classics and the classical arts, right? We have the same thing, like ballet versus what we see on TV. Right, right. right? So it's very similar. And I honestly was doing both. And so... I also saw the commercial side and, you know, once again, growing up, I didn't see anyone who looked like me on TV, but when I would watch these Bollywood movies, I would see these incredible actresses who danced and literally like lit up the screen and they made me feel like I could be a magical woman too, yeah. you know, because I didn't know exactly where, where, where to fit in. And because I was training and I love dance and more than all of that, even I would say there was something that I knew I had when I danced, which was this expression and emotion. So Indian dance has three main components to it. There's one part of it that's called Abhinaya, which is all about facial expressions and storytelling. And for some reason, when I was like five years old, I was exceptional at it. And I don't even know why. Like, it was almost like a gift I just had. Like, I literally, my parents would just ask me to perform at someone's house and every single 
parent, like auntie there would come and watch me dance because they were like, you just light up. Like it's, it was almost as if something was like channeling through my body. And I had all these expressions and I was a little girl, I was five years old, but I was like literally emulating a 25, 30 year old woman. And I learned this sort of by watching these Bollywood movies. And it's a very critical part of actually Indian classical dance and Indian, all Indian forms of, of dance. And so that was actually something where when I was that expressive, I found a place to, to really let myself free, right? When you can find a place to really express yourself, whatever, yeah. I mean, some people have that in poetry, some people have it in writing, I mean, right. working out is similar. That's really when I remember feeling that nothing in the world could compare to that feeling. There was right. just something so magical about that part of my life. And once again, it tied me back to how do I help other people find this in their life? And honestly, through throughout my MIT life and throughout my Bain life, I kept dance in my life, right? And that's right. really interesting because most of the times when people had have, you know, a college that's that intense and even a career that's that, you know, it's just intense. intense. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's hard to find time to do anything else. But I was that person. I talk about a lot of those stories yeah. in the book of randomly going to performances and needing to miss client meetings. Well, yeah, but like to me, that's what's amazing because, like you, to your point, like you're not do, you're not like at some like state school, right? Like you're at like MIT, and you're still. That's how important it was to you. Yeah. But like, talk about because you say it a lot. Like you're, the tools that that dance taught you to be successful in in life, like professionally and Absolutely. personally, like discipline, all those things. Discipline. Yeah. 100%. I mean, I'm a very self-motivated person and I will 100% say that for anyone who has a dream, you need to be self-motivated. Yeah. I mean, I can give you advice. Every person in the world can help you out and give you some True. sort of, you know, card to help you. But at the end of the day, you need to be the person who is motivated enough to break through those doors. Yeah, right. Totally true. And I think I always had that. And I learned that self-motivation because of dance, right? Yeah. It was it was my dance teacher saying, you, like, I've taught you a dance today. You better know it next Saturday. Right. I mean, I could have showed up next Saturday and not known it, and that's fine. I was very young. Like, what was she going to do? Right. But I, you know, and, and she taught me that construct of, wait, I don't know it. How do I practice? How do I work hard to get better at it? So by next Saturday, I could do it, Absolutely. right? That was that, just that process to learn that we are capable of, internalizing something, getting better at something, performing something at our best was a really important thing I learned at a really, at a really young age. And she also, you know, it, it, we I talk about this a lot too. It's this, she of course, like wanted me to do well in life. And there is a difference between perfect and doing things well. Right. And yeah. I, I think in my life, and I talk about expectations a lot, I think when expectations translate to perfection, Right. Right. In that right. sense, it feels perfect because it's perfect to other people, not to myself. Right. When I'm doing something at my best, I will know. And to me, that is perfect. Right. And that's the that's the construct that I think a lot of people don't think about is right. perfection is other people. Absolutely true. That's such a great point. And I love how you talk about the, uh, the whole thing. I've always said, I mean, I talk about fitness, how for me. Yeah. Um, you know, that it taught me the same, that's what really kind of resonated. It taught me, you know, how to not just di dis discipline for sure, but work ethic, hard work, yep. progression. Like that's how you build confidence, right? Mm -hmm. When you see yourself going from here to here yep. to here, and that gives you, that propels you to feel like you can like conquer anything, anything. right? Absolutely. And I, that's why I think teams, I think when kids are small, they should be doing even team sports to learn how to be a team player. Yes. And to learn that when you make a commitment to 
go somewhere and be at a place at a certain time, how important that is. Right. So people like don't sometimes don't kind of connect the dots like that. Right. I agree like, with that. I mean, and I think uh, going back to what you were just saying about progress and the human journey. Yeah. For me, and you know, I'm 39 years old, and I know I've done a lot of things. You look in my like life. you're 15. Thank but you. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but, Are you sure? Yeah. I want to check your license. Yeah. Um, the only thing I'll say is to do the things I've done in my life at this age. It's required me to pivot and progress, right? Yeah. And a lot of times, if you don't reflect on if you are moving forward and if you get comfortable, I've just never wanted to be comfortable in my life. Right. And that doesn't mean just my career. That means in anything in my life. That means about growth in my mind, yep. right? Growth in my body. If I never want to feel like I'm stagnating yep. and I think fitness and I think, you know, going to classes, doing all these things like gives us a way to feel that progress, especially when our lives can be like, I'm going to work every day and doing the same exact thing. Absolutely. Coming home, doing the same exact thing. You need to add that spice to your life where things feel fall into a routine. So how do you do that? Like when do you give like, what do you suggest people do? Like, I think a lot of times people get stuck in good enough, right? Yeah. And like in this comfortable, like day-to-day monotony, right? Of like paying bills and mm-hmm. having to like do all of that. I mean, you have to and do those things. You, I mean, I, you, those, I, are, I, those are non-negotiables. You have, non-negotiables. Right. You have to do them. So right. like, you know, when people, and, I, and you do a very good job in your in your book talking about this, when people talk about this, like, follow your dream, follow your passion, like, Sometimes like you, it's not about just like doing it willy nilly. There has to be a pa- plan, a plan, 100% and like risk consideration. This is actually one of the biggest reasons I wrote the book. Actually, my husband and I always talk about this because he sees people messaging me all the time being like, I'm going to quit my job. Exactly. Like you inspire me to quit my job. And he's, he's always, you know, reminding me to tell them the rest of it, the story, which Absolutely. is having a financial plan, making sure you have the right experience and skills, like the way I've cultivated my network before I took that leap. And I think that is a really important point to tell people, here's the thing, you should never feel trapped by any of those things, right? Especially money. I think money is the one that traps us the most. It is acknowledge where and what money is to you in your life, right? How much do you have? How much are you making? Where can you find the freedom in it, right? And it might not be something that's going to allow you to go for your dream today, but maybe in three years, it's the right time. But if you don't start that process today, you're going to constantly feel like you can't move, right? Yes. And that's one of the biggest things, I think, why people feel stagnated and you know don't want to try is because they don't see the hope on the other side, right? right? They don't see the fact that they can maneuver their life. Make money work for you. You don't work for money, right? That's something I talk about a lot. And yeah. really, honestly, and I'll be, you know, I'm one of those people that I grew up, my parents didn't have that much money. Like they came from India with few dollars in their hands. Yes. You know, I, I grew up in a, in a way where it was not a luxury, right. To have money and to do things. And so I valued every dollar. Yeah. And as I got older, you know, I valued it even more. And I, I talk a lot about this too, but I think we have to also realize like there's a trade-off between money and time mm-hmm. as we get older too. We want to make more and more money, but we forget to realize time is the most important thing. And look, that's a luxury conversation to be able to have at some point in your life, but we should, realize like, when are we making enough money where we're giving up on our dreams, right? Or giving up on the things that the way we want to spend our time. One of my favorite things is when people tell me, especially with class class, I'd have people say, you know, I'm busy. And I'm like, you can't, you're not busy. And it's really this, this idea when you're talking about the bills and all that. Yeah, we all have to do it, plan it out, do it, check it off, do it efficiently. Don't stress about it. Don't make it something that takes five hours of your mind, but one hour of your time. 
Exactly. Well, that's what people do, though. They overthink, yeah. overthink, but they don't execute. They don't execute. Yeah. I'm all about my my calendar. My life is all about execution and time management. Exactly. And, and scheduling. Exactly. And I, I think the biggest thing is I, in the goal setting method that I do, I do it quarterly. I don't do it annually. So the quarterly goal setting process that I do enables me every three months to sort of rewrite a new set of dreams for yeah. myself, which yeah. is great. Why would I ever want to feel like I I'm committed to something for a year. And honestly, whoever sticks with anything that they commit to they for never a year. Do. But since yeah. you brought it up, because I was going to bring up that like later, later on. Yeah. But talk about that. Like some of the ways people can goal set, some of those good skills and strategies. Like we just said it right here, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you can go through the whole process. It's in the book. It, like, first step is always reflecting, which is getting a sense of where you are. Then you, then I have a dream session, which I do. And I anchor it in words, not achievements. So it's literally, how do I want to feel in a year? Which is another big step that I think a lot of people miss Yeah. before you even goal set. And that this is really what the book is set up to do is to get you in the mindset and get you into the self-awareness to know where you're going to set those goals from. Yeah. Cause usually if you set goals, I mean, we can all, I can write down a list of goals like that of exactly. what people want me to do, but how do I make sure that those goals are from my heart? Right. And they're aligned with, you know, n- not fears, right? They right. are aligned to something I truly want to do. And that's really where people go go wrong. So that's why I've set up the method. So the first three steps are actually about figuring out like where you're going to goal set before we even do. Even goal set, before you exactly, even do it. Yes, before you exactly. even do it. And then once you goal set, I mean, yes, then it's all about making measurable goals, making sure they're actionable, that they're, you're starting with step one, not step 30 in 10, the process, right. right? Because a lot of times people don't know where to start and then they don't realize that even you know, signing up for something or researching something is actually a good goal versus actually doing it, you know, and, and you need to know where to start. And I think a lot of times people get lost in that. So I break down all of this stuff, but I think it's it's an important thing for everyone to think about. And you said this earlier, which I think this is an important part of it, is gain the confidence in yourself, right? So going to class, getting better at something, setting a goal, checking it off, doing feeling like you accomplished it will make you just set a bigger goal next time. Totally. That feeling of accomplishment yes. is so underrated. Exactly. People don't understand, like, when I, like, make it a, make it a point, like, I need to work out in the morning. And right. if I, like, people are like, oh, how you need to work out. But it's part of my day that is so important, like, work. It's part of my work. Yes. I'm not going to be It's a as, non-negotiable it's a in my non, calendar. Right? It's a 100%. non-negotiable. Yeah. Because if I don't, trust me, you don't want to be around me. Yeah, I'm just cranky all day. I'm like, and then I feel like I'm waiting uh, to work out exactly. all day. And I'm, like, figuring out when I'm I'm going to do it. And also it's like that feeling that that feeling of accomplishment that I technically checked it off my list gives me the like power to do so many other things way more effectively in the same exact way, right? Like yeah. way more efficiently. It's not about just like working out to get like, you know, a nice ass. It's not about that totally. at all. Yeah. It's all about like what it does for your like mental, mental focus yeah. ability. Like, and I, I, people need to do it to actually know what we're talking about. Absolutely. And, you, you know, know, even at a more professional level, I always really believe ClassPass was only birthed because I was able to have a few successful dance shows in New York City. And my first show was 100 people. But if that didn't go well, right. I don't know if I would have done a show for 1,000 people the next time around. Exactly. But it literally, so I, you know, I've said this before, I feel like ClassPass started with that 100-person dance show. That as a 20, like, four-year-old in the middle of Manhattan decided to get a studio and I was able to get a hundred people there. that was your there. first company, right? Like, yeah, so class, my, yeah ClassPass exactly. was actually not your first company. Right. This, it's called Saw. Saw, S- yeah. yeah, Saw Dance. So company. that was your first. So can you tell us, okay, so 
besides going through all the like actual like step-by-step goal setting, what you did. So like you were working at like, so you left Bain because, you know, your boss thought you were, you know, it's well, too, yeah, too difficult so for you to kind of like get was, the dance in. Yeah, exactly. It was not that I knew if I stayed at Bain and stayed at business school route, Bain stuff, I would have, I'd be saying no to dance at that yeah. point in my life. I kind of knew that I wasn't ready to give this up. I mean, I'd been fighting for it now since I was three years old. Why right. give up now? And I decided to find a way to make everyone in my life happy, which was take a job in like corporate America, basically have a nine to five that right. I knew was more predictable. I could go to a class at six o'clock, right. not have to worry about it. I could dance in the evenings. I can make performances and also make a salary, right? So I, I look, some people would be like, oh, why, you know, why didn't you trust yourself at that time to do it? I still think I baby needed steps. to, yeah, like to me, this was the baby steps I took yeah. that felt comfortable for me in the moment. I still, like I said, wanted to make sure that, you know, my parents sacrificed a lot for me and my sister. Totally, yeah. I wasn't ready to just throw that away. And I knew Bain was great. So going into, you know, and this was in the entertainment industry because I went into the music industry, which felt more aligned with my creative side. Decided to do that. I was there for um, three years and literally in my first month of working there, I decided to get together a bunch of girls that I had been dancing with in, you know, New York and on sort of the East Coast. And we just started playing around with some choreography. And that's where Saw started, my dance company. And we got asked to perform at this huge festival um, downtown in Manhattan. And we ended up on the cover of the art section of the New York Times. And this was within nine months. I didn't even have a website up it's for amazing. the company. But I knew we had we did good work, right? I, I think that's another thing that I want to stress is whenever I did something, I did it well. And that reputation followed me from MIT to Bain to, to dance. Even though I may have never really loved being and doing the, some of those things, I still always did good work. So people always wanted to like recommend me or, you know, right. tell people, oh, you should work with her, which I, I think is an important point, which is sometimes it's not it's always a talked very, about. That's why I think like it's yeah. a very big point yeah. because you set yourself up for success your whole life. Exactly. And and I I couldn't tell you how many times in my life people have come up to me being like, oh, I spoke with this person who worked with you, with you here and then became an investor to me because they were like, that person spoke highly of you. Right. Right. So that that follows you. But side point. So then I was not uh, a side point. Good point. <laughs> good because point. your you're reputation right. yeah, follows your you. Your reputation follows so you. So don't make sure you're doing, you know, you're doing right by what the people are. You, yeah. You work Whatever you say yes to, do it well. And if ex- not, say no. Exactly. And do it well. Yeah. Don't just phone it in with anything. Right. Because that is all like it's going to follow points. you. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I was at Warner and I was I was working. I was dancing on the side. Saw was, you know, it, from from a dance company standpoint, it was doing really well. I mean, and especially within my community, the Indian community, I was getting like celebrities and and people like Mira Nair, who is one of the most incredible filmmakers in the world. She's an Indian American filmmaker. Um, and I read she, that book, yeah. you know. She literally saw 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 performing one weekend at some festival that we went to, and she came up to me, which was unbelievable. And I remember she sent me an email the next day, and the subject line was "Your exquisite work." And to get that from someone who is just so deeply, you know, creative and art artist. And by the way, one thing I will also tell you is I always struggled with calling myself an artist because my background is in business and all of that. So it was one of those things for me to like, all these were signs from the universe that were telling me, you got to go do something else. Like, you know, and I didn't know if it was in dance or whatever it might be, but I just felt like all of the world was telling me to go on my own path. And I knew that my day job right now, which was, you know, fine paying the bills, wasn't energizing me. And three years basically into that job, 
I got to another point. I felt like I was living two lives, right? Here I was in the evenings and and weekends, like being this incredible performer, selling out shows. And then I would go back and like be a monkey at work, yeah. you know? And I felt like no one understood me. And by the way, these situations are sometimes our own faults, right? Like I, I had put myself there and I realized I needed to get myself out of that. And so I started thinking about something new to do. I luckily enough went on a trip to San Francisco during this time, which is something I never did because I was always so focused on dancing and work because I didn't have any other time. Right. I barely traveled, but I took out, I t- went to go see my friend for her birthday. I ended up meeting a ton of entrepreneurs in San Francisco. And this is 2010, right? Entrepreneurship is not the buzzword. A hundred percent. Now it n- is. Especially in New York City. This was, you know, Silicon Alley didn't even exist. Totally. And so it was Silicon Valley, right? And everyone there is building apps, cool ideas. And I remember asking people, you do this full time? Like it just was not even a career path I was thinking about. And they were like, yeah. And it just got my mind spiraling to say, what could I come up with? Maybe this is something I could do. It was not even like a huge thing I was investing in. But I started thinking about how could I change this? How could I change this? And 36 hours later, and you know, after work every day, I went to a ballet class to take. On that Tuesday, I got back. I decided to try a new class and I get onto, you know, my computer, I'm looking for a class and it's so frustrating to see the yeah. thousands of tabs open. And that's when I decided to say, let me build an open table for classes. And that's really when the idea started. Right. Of course, it's morphed in in concept and, and consumer value proposition since then. But the seed of it started on that day when I was frustrated by that search for a ballet class that I couldn't find. And like talk about that because people, I don't think even not, not everyone knows, you've had a few different iterations of class pass. Like what you see today isn't what it started out to be. So then you thought it was going to be like the open table of Yeah, I thought it'd be a search engine. And so, exactly. That's what you thought. And so, but on that, you were able to get tech stars and all these other things. Yeah. So what was the next? So so now you have this idea. Then what happened? So I started doing some market research, right? So using my background that I did have from Bain and MIT, I um, started figuring out like how big of a, of a business are like open tables and my comps like ZocDoc and CMS yep. Web, which were out there. So I did some analysis on them to just understand their business strategy. Um, I also did like market sizing and research. So I did a survey from with my friends to be like, when was the last time you went to a yoga class? Like, what class do you want to try? Where do you find them? I needed to do my own market research. And you did this on your own. Yeah, I did and this, this on my own. This is what you did with Bain anyway. Yeah, exactly. So now I was doing-, doing this all the time. I just did this to solve my own problem. Exactly. Talk about transferable skills. Yeah, I mean, exactly. You already had like yeah. all this ability. Yeah. So. so I knew how to do a survey and all that. And by the way, for anyone, you can just get on SurveyMonkey and do a survey. It's actually not, not that <laughs> hard. It's very user, user friendly. Um, and so once I, I started doing that, I also started telling my friends about it. A lot of them, which I was in shock by, started thinking about investing, right? They like, I remember being at brunch with one of my first investors. Now he was, he, we were meeting as friends and he's like, Hey, like I'm writing you a 10 K check. I'm like, what? And it was like one of those things for me where, I mean, I still had a full-time job. I hadn't quit Warner music group and people wanted to write me checks already for this idea, which I was kind of in shock by. But once again, I will tell you this, a lot of those people had seen me work and do, and my, my work at SAW had obviously known I went to MIT and Bain and they trusted me, right? Like even seeing that show of a hundred people that I, I talked about, people could see how I created a new experience, how I branded something, how I brought people together and executed something that was in my head into something that was really compelling in real life, right? And that's yeah. honestly, no, it's it's different because it's of course a tech company, but th- that that stuff really helped them give give them that 
sense of I trust Pyle and I have I have confidence in her ability. Not to mention, you even said one of your big investors, I can't remember his name, saw when it, what, what, like saw your video of yeah. dancing and yeah. he gave you money based on the like how like you can see the passion of yeah, how, how I mean, well you did it. He is actually the one who led my $40 million Series B. So there you go. Yeah, and and that story, it's it's really interesting. Um, so his name is Adam Falcon, worked at General Catalyst or works at Ger General Catalyst. And he had come to a few of my shows and he'd also seen, yeah, videos of me dancing. And I remember him just saying to me, and he had played tennis, right, at Harvard, Harvard his whole life. So Another he loser. Could see, yeah, <laughs> he, he could see that skills were transferable. Yeah. And if you could be that good, that means you have what we were talking about earlier, mm -hmm. that discipline, that way to work hard. Okay, I can't figure it out. Let me go try right. another way. So what you do in tennis. So he knew that in order to be that good in dance, I had to have been able to figure something out. So once Absolutely. again, all those things were helping. So yeah, so like raising money was the next thing um, in it. I, I didn't really think about tech stars and stuff yet. And that kind of just miraculously happened, which, and I'll tell, tell you guys a little bit about that. But um, I think the other big thing was team. I was thinking about who I wanted to build this with. I think it's hard to start a company by yourself. And I luckily enough had a good friend of mine who was really energized by the idea of ClassPass 2. And he just was like, I really want to do this with you. And we just decided to co-found it together. What was he doing before? He was a banker. <laughs> he was a banker. Yeah. Again, okay. So again, like, so you have like, so but like you have like something that most people don't have starting, right? You have the, you have the transferable skills you have are super practical and, and, um, but you know what? Need, I, like yes, needed. Yes. Right. Ag agreed. It helped me think through it. But do I think that someone else couldn't ask those same questions? No. I mean, it's like a lot of this is asking your friends what they think yeah. about an idea. That's not something. And by the way, I asked people what they thought of the idea and everyone said they would use it and then no one did. But And then that's we'll a whole go. other story we'll get yeah, into. So, and honestly, my market research was wrong, clearly. <laughs> clearly, but still, <laughs> but you were it doesn't, able to do it. I mean, it. I was able to do it. And, you know, the only other thing I remember starting to work on at that time was um, website design and stuff. But, you know, that was something that that you just, you can find a designer, you right? You can find these things. Yeah. If you're, res if you're just resourceful and just yes, ask Yes, you have help. to be so resourceful. That's what you need. You need yeah. to be resourceful. I mean, my first designer was one of my dancers in SA. Really? Yeah. She literally designed the entire class. Bus. She was literally there for like seven years. She stayed there. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so then wait, so you get this guy who's, or this partner who you grew up with, yep. who's also a banker. He, did he leave his job full time? So he did um, the, in like six months after that, he left his job full time. More from our guests, but first a few words from our sponsor. Let's talk about what is professional today. On LinkedIn, important conversations are happening around what it means to be a professional. LinkedIn members are talking about things like needing more flexibility around where we work, how we work, and even taking time away from work to focus on family or mental health, because those things should not stunt career development or growth. Instead, they should enhance it as we show up on our own terms. And members are even putting what's most important to them in their job titles with things like podcast host slash activist slash mom. Of course, that would be mine. Uh, professional is ours to define and our authentic self is our professional self. So if your LinkedIn doesn't reflect who you really are, update your job title. Post your truth, show the world the authentic professional you, and join the conversations redefining professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn, welcome professionals.
And then you, but you put together a business plan, right? I did put together a business plan because that's the thing that you're supposed to do. Right. But do I really believe in them anymore? No. (laughs) Right. And then I wanted to, I want to talk to you about that. So then you take this business plan and what do you do now? You're still, did you quit Warner yet? Okay. So this, yeah. yeah, So this was a transformative time. Okay. So I had the idea in the summer of 2010. Okay. So I'm spending the next few months, like I'm at work and I'm feeling like I'm hate, like now I'm at a point where I'm like, I hate my job. Right. I had come off of a huge dance show that we had that sold out in the middle of New York city with a thousand people. Like I I was at like the height of, of that, but I literally was like, I don't know what to do next with that. Especially knowing that I have this job. I, I knew I was at a crossroads. Right. And this is why I went out to SF. I have this idea. I'm doing research. It seems compelling. People want to invest in it. People want to help me with it. The market research saying that everyone would use a product like this. And um, I decide that I remember it was Thanksgiving, right? So now about three or four months later, and I'm home for, for Thanksgiving break. And I'm talking to my mom. And I'm just telling her how depressed I was to go back to work the next day, right? It was Sunday yeah. after Thanksgiving. Like I had a great time with my family. I didn't want to go back to work. And she just looked at me and she goes, well, then quit. And by the way, this is a very big thing for my mom who, and you know, my dad was obviously around too, um, for her to say, especially after the life she's lived, right. And everything I was just talking about, just the expectations she's had on me and obviously wanted me to be secure and succeed in everything that I was going to do. And so for her to say that, and I think it came from the fact that, I mean, I had now been working for six years after going to MIT they had seen people, you know, talking about Saw and the, you know, the people who've come to my shows and what I was able to literally accomplish. Yeah. Right? And I was 25 years old. You know, I think that they literally were they needed to set me free and they felt less. They I think she could tell I was unhappy. And I don't think any parent wants to see their child unhappy. Right, right. So she was she literally said that. And that was the moment that I finally got the courage to quit. So then I decided to quit a month later. And. This is also a really uh, interesting story because I go to quit. It's like the scariest moment, right, of anyone's life. And it's because you're throwing away your, you know, your salary. You have no idea what structure you're going to have. Yeah, security, all of it. I'm so nervous. Like, you know, and I go and I I tell my boss and then I write an email out to some of the people I worked with at at the company. Something you do to say bye and say, you know, I just said I was going to work on something entrepreneurial. And the vice chairman of Warner Music Group calls me to his office and by the way, I had met him two or three times in my lifetime. And by the way, another connection to what we were talking about before, he was a Baney, right? So he also, just because we were in the same network of where we had worked, right. was just had more an affinity to say, let me help you. And I remember seeing him a few times and he knew I was from Bain. So he would be nice to me, but like, I'd never really had a formal <laughs> conversation with him. So I go up to his office, we start talking. He's like, tell me about what you're building. And I would tell him about the, I want to build this open table for classes with yada, yada, yada. And he's like, great, I want to invest. I want to give you $10,000 and I'm going to introduce you to David Tish, who's the found, founding member uh, or managing director of Techstars. And he wrote me a recommendation and David Tish actually always tells me, he's like, the recommendation you got was the best recommendation we've ever had. Like we could not say no to you. And they had 1500 applicants and they only accepted 13 companies. So back to recommendations and all of that Absolutely. networking, how important it was, because I don't ever actually believe in applying to something and sort of not having somebody who can give you a rec- good recommendation. Absolutely. The chance of you get it, getting into anything like that is 
very close to zero. Right. So you kind of use your network and your yeah. and your connections. So then what happens? Yeah. So then, um, you know, I get this money and um, well, ten thousand is not going to get. you Yeah, very of course far. not. And so I was I, at this point, I had friends and family. I had people who were how much did you raise to, in, the, in the friends and family? Um, I the total first round that we did was around one point two million, but okay. it happened over a year. So oh, it was like okay. in different tranches. It was a convertible note that we did and it happened over different tranches. But at that point, I think we, it was like three, four hundred, hundred K. And then we were kind of, as we were talking to people, more people were putting some more money in as right. we were making progress. And so the first thing we started doing, and this is going to say, this was actually a mistake. We started trying to um, get all the information of the schedules, right? Because right. think about our the industry, right? There's the schedule data needs to change every day. So we were trying to figure out how are we going to keep the schedule information most up to date. And we started literally building a directory of classes. That's literally what we were doing like wow. in Excel. It was this crazy thing. And you only know, only in New needed, York to just like, yeah, it was only in New York. To scale it with every city. It was just York. New York in the beginning. Yeah. I mean, to get to every city, it's like, re like remarkable. Yeah, it was, it, this was just New York. I, right. Even in New York, it's like so many places. So yeah, so we, and we luckily actually found, um, so MindBody, which is actually the company that acquired ClassS yes. recently, they actually were working with a lot of uh, the studios at the time. Right. So we worked with them too to get a lot of the information so it could be more real time because class data is changing constantly. Constantly. Right. And so we, you know, that was a big thing from a technical perspective. What we were going to figure out is how are we going to keep the information live? And then we started building like a UI UX to like look what the, what was the design of the page and all of that to make things easy. We spent, I mean, I, I can go into it. We just spent way too much time doing it. Like we, we spent a year doing this and you know, in the middle of it, we got into tech stars. I hired some tech people that didn't work out. I had to rebuild my site a few times. Like this is sort of that first year of lots of making mistakes, figuring out what you're going to do, but keeping on moving forward. Right. Yeah. 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 Then we get it. We, at the end of that year, so this is the first year I was, I started the company. We get into tech stars, which is great. We're so excited. 2012 starts. We're going to tech stars. Um, really great time, you know, for the company where we think we're making progress and we decide we're going to launch on demo day, which is the last day of Techstars. So this is when the open table for glass is going to go live. We're so excited. We have a ton of press. All the investors are coming in the room or in the room to see the pitch, do it, turn on the site, wait for the reservations, thinking like thousands are going to be flooding in. Nothing's going on. I'm kind of like tech guy. Hey, what's going on is the site up <laughs> and it is up. No one's been going to class. No one goes to class. A week goes by. We've maybe had like three reservations. It With was all really devastating. It was devastating. All, and all that yeah, We just had the product wrong, you know? And um, it was a really hard time, you know, to, to internalize that after all of that. And, and, you know, I consider those things now false signals of success. Yeah. Things like fundraising, press, you know, all these things that I thought meant that I was going to just succeed. Totally. And I was banking on them. But, you know, the only thing that mattered was getting someone to class, right? Absolutely. That's the only thing that mattered. Or I was literally doing nothing for the industry, for the customer or the business. Exactly. And, and also, like, talk about that false. I think, I think that that's what people get, like... That happens to a lot of people, mm -hmm. right? Because they are focusing on the wrong things to yeah. make them successful. Totally. I mean, it's followers, right? It's right. fundraising, press. It's things that having a nice product UI and brand, all that. Like, even like, you know, 
like, I mean, doing some of the legal stuff is important, but all that stuff, it's like, worry about those things when, when, it's, when, when you have to, you know, what, is, what do you call it? You call it something in your book also champagne, champagne problems. Yeah. yeah. What can you tell? What is that? Tell yeah. People. So it's a problem that comes up when things have gone well. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you literally should be, you know, clicking the champagne yeah. and, you know, for example, when sites are sites go down because you have too much traffic. Woohoo. Like, you know, sometimes exactly. I remember in the beginning we would overbuild. We'd be like, okay, like we don't want the site to go down. So we're going to like overbuild. Why do that? Do that after first see if a customer even wants to buy your product and we'll come to your site. Exactly. Because people forget that the hardest thing to get people to do is change their behavior. And that's what I really realized in any of And fitness is one of the hardest because there is so much fear. I mean, we can, we should go into all of that. There's just, you know, and that's what went wrong with the first product is that, I literally was like, here people, and honestly, everyone was like, great, this is not a utility, meaning this is not I have to eat every day, right? This was, oh, I need to go and do something I'm scared about and spend money, and am I I even free? It was too many important decisions for someone to make all in one moment, so that's why the search engine didn't work, and I realized we needed to build a new platform and a new a new value proposition oh that the God. industry hadn't really seen. And that's when we honestly became entrepreneurs, when we finally had this insight of let's try something new. And so our second product that was in the market, it was this product called the Passport. I don't know if anyone listening in the fitness <laughs> industry maybe was was a, a user. I mean, we only had, I think, less than a thousand customers, but it was, it was gaining traction really well. And it was a 30 day pass where you could go and try different classes if you were a first time client, right? So a lot of studios mm-hmm. have a first time, you know, complimentary class that they were giving because they wanted new people in the door. Right. And we decided to package those up and look, we had, we had now built a lot of some of the integrations and stuff on the back end because of the first iteration that we had that. So we it was just, also cheap. I remember like it was, it was $49. Yeah. Well, we were literally paying zero to the studios for this right. because it was a first time free class. So we, we did it as $49. People had a month. They loved it. They loved going spinning on Monday to like pole dancing class on Tuesday. It was so you know? popular. I it was remember. so popular, yeah. but there was a problem. Our entire proposition was that you would go from discovery down to like finding a package at a studio and converting. Right. Right. And so therefore you would stay long term with them and stay long term in the ecosystem of what we were building. We didn't see enough conversion. Right. So a lot of times people were just buying the product and then falling off. What we did start seeing, though, is some people were trying to buy that password product over and over again with different email addresses. Yes. Now, that was this crazy insight for us, right? Because at first, our reaction was, we need to shut that down, right? That's that's like, they're doing the wrong thing. Right. But we saw so many people doing that, that we started realizing, wait, maybe people want to do this monthly. So we sent out a survey asking people, is this something that you would do if we, if you could do it on a monthly, month-to-month basis? And 95% of people were interested in it. Yeah. And that's when we knew that we had to pivot to a subscription. Once again, we still had the other products in the market. And that's when we actually, like in June of 2013, was the first time. And we were still called Classtivity at the time. So it wasn't even ClassPass. It was so, called? Really? Yeah. It was called Classtivity. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Okay. And so we launched the membership model of it in June of 2013. And uh, I mean, and then it really just took off and it went viral. I and mean, we've made changes to the product over the years too. But that was really the inception of ClassFast. I mean, the, and the thing is, well, but at the same time, what was interesting is like everyone thought, okay, like people who are inter- interested in fitness because then they can try lots of things that they would normally not. But how did you guys get the, I guess, you know, the people who are not fitness people 
to even, because they still have to come, overcome the habit of not working out. Now they still have to be intimidated by going to a new place over and over again. Yeah. And they still did it. Yeah. Like, so so here's the beauty of this product. First of all, our number one job was for that market, right? Right. There was already the people who knew how to go to Berries, knew how to go to Equinox. Like that world already existed. Right. right? And they could just try something new. A super high price point too, right? So we knew we needed to get people in the door in an accessible way to get them to try things. Now, one thing that was really interesting, this is more of like a psychology, a, like a behavioral thing, is that because people paid on like day one, yep. the app became opportunity to them. Going to that yoga class now felt like something that they already had paid for. And all of that brain tax I was saying about that first product yep. when they were questioning the price and the time, this became, and I, I always th- akin this to like a kid in a candy store. Yep. Like you literally are like, I can do all of this versus saying I'm scared to do all of this. We just flipped it because they already paid. So now they open the app and they're like, wow, I can, it was almost like it was all yours. Yeah. Because it was all yours. So you just had to actually decide which one you wanted to do. Yeah. And as people started doing that, and obviously like, and we know this because we're into fitness, the feeling, right, after you go to, go to two, three classes, especially different ones, and you realize that progress emotionally, mentally, physically, I mean, you fall in love. So so I always say this, like the brands, people are always like, how did you guys build such a great brand? I'm like, the product did it. We literally were giving people adrenaline and happiness through what they were doing and the progress they had on the product. Right. And then everyone started telling their friends about it, right? So it was one of those products where after two weeks of doing it, you'd be like, I got to tell this person. And so we had every average person telling five people about the product. Oh my God, that's amazing. So we barely had to do any marketing. We literally were... I remember we had to hire people because we needed more inventory and more studios because we were literally growing so fast and everyone wanted to try the product. And I mean, it was it was one of those times as a startup where you just, you know, you just are like all hands on deck. It was amazing. I mean, the, a couple of things I remember, though, was like if someone found a class that they liked, they couldn't go back to that class. Remember? Well, so like, that was in the passport product. And we, that we was used the to past, have. What, yeah. And we used to have a cap of um, you could only go three times in a month. Exactly. That was yeah. the thing. You we could, got rid of cap. that, obviously, over time. Right. But, but then yes. your price point of the past or whatever, the, the next, membership became more expensive. Yeah, right? exactly. And then you, t- you change it to credits and all that. Other yeah, stuff. exactly. So how did the people, how did the, I never even. I never really kind of like looked into this, but how did the studios make money? Did you split with it like a split? Like so, what did you do with yeah, that? Yeah, so we would always pay them um, a portion. Like in the beginning, it yeah. was a rate that we negotiated with them. Yeah, I remember that. You know, off of their pa- like their pack rate. Over time, it's it's definitely evolved because now we have like an algorithm. So it's literally actually all like optimized pricing. So they actually get paid different prices for every class based on peak like how much demand there is and all of that. So it's actually like so much more complicated now that I can't tell you the exact (laughs) part of it anymore because it's run by so many different parts of it. But it started with trying to come up with like a simple model, but we always paid them for every class that someone went to. And then like, because every day a new gym is opening up or a new fitness place, how did you keep up with all of that? I mean, what was really interesting is once... You know, in the beginning, when we were launching every city, we would go in, we would do our research to be like, okay, what 40 studios do we need to launch, right? And we wanted to make sure we had like the top studios on there. And so that was something we did in the beginning. At some point it flipped, like everyone wanted to be on ClassPass. So a lot of people would use us to launch their studios. And so the conversation flipped where then a lot of it was just inbound. So usually after we launched in a market with the top 40, we would easily get the rest of the studios on board because they would want to be a part of it They would want to be part of it. What also I found interesting that no one's kind of, and you talk about this in your book a little bit, how uh, competition, like, you know, about, it's all about the execution. Like other people were like kind of copycatting, trying but you did that thing where you hired a bunch of salespeople. Yeah, we went for it. So amazing. Talk. I love that story. So 
you know, in uh, let's see, this was I'm always like into the dates because it's such an important right. Part the chronological for me. order yeah, is so important. Is, for it me is, too. yeah. You know, in 2015, yes, it must have been. Uh, it was 2014, the end of the year, and we had we had raised our Series A. So I had raised uh, a 12 million dollar Series A that summer. It was announced in September, and the second that was announced, there was literally a copycat that opened up in every city in America. So. Every day I would get to the office and one of my like team members would send me another email to be like, you know, this here's like FitPass and here's like this this thing. And it was just I can't even name one, by the way. Day. I don't know one. Yeah. Well, at the time there was a lot, yeah. you know. And at first my reaction was, we're gonna stay the course, like keep looking forward. We have a plan, let's do it. And then I remember going home and, you know, this is a very, like, you know, female moment for me in the sense of I remember thinking about like fashion designers and I'm, you know, and people like ripping off their bags. Yeah. And I was like, this is my product. Like I literally and I and there's it's it's not even like anyone could say it's not because anyone can know the amount of iterations we went to to totally. figure out this magic. Like I have it. Like it's it's it was one of those things where I'm like, we literally invented and created this this is not fair, right? This is literally knockoffs, right? I don't even, I mean, we call it copycats. It's definitely something in the business world that people think is just more normal, but it's a knockoff, right? And I was like, if this was, you know, Kate Spade or Tori, like what would they be doing? And that's right. when I was like, that's it, I'm gonna go. Like I remember having that yeah. conversation in my head and saying, I know how to get stuff done. We just need to step on the gas. We had a plan to launch eight cities that year, we decided that we were going to launch 20, which meant I think another, I can't remember the exact numbers right now, but like literally we had to do 10 plus cities in a matter of three weeks or, or three, three to six weeks. It was insane. It was crazy amounts. Yeah. And we did it. So in the, and we called it operation 2015 and it was to be in 20 cities by January 1st, 2015. And we were, and I hired 60 people on one weekend to go out. We literally did a Craigslist ad. We made them call us and we wow. would say, call, call us to schedule your interview because we wanted to see how they would do on the phone and if they were like good and personable, all of that. And then we literally hired so many people. They came in Monday, we like trained them, we flew them out Tuesday and we went into all these cities. It's like, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. And so, like I said, like, I don't even know anybody like these copycats, they probably do. Do they exist now? Are there anybody? I mean, so we, they were like one of the big ones that used to be called FitMob, but like they were all in different regions, you know, and we acquired them. So a lot of them we've, we've either now joined together, we've mostly joined together or they've died off. Yeah. I mean, cause I can't think of any yeah. at all. This was like, like I said, in 2014, 15, when the model was new, there was a lot more, but now I think ClassWest has established itself enough where yeah, exactly. you know, people don't compete with the model. So, and it's, it's actually really bad when there's two big ones. Like we've seen it, like, I mean, Uber Lyft, right there. Was, I mean, I feel like this has happened in other industries too, is you end up fighting more than you care about the customer, Yeah, you know, and, or, I mean, yes, the customer sometimes benefits if people like price discount, but then the businesses end up being, you know, your VCs and everyone end up being like really, really taken advantage of with their money and all of that. So competitions, like while it's good and it should spur innovation, it shouldn't, it shouldn't spur, you know, bad business decisions. And that's what it usually does. So uh, how, why did that make sense? So how important was, was a having a mentor? I know you say that yeah. was pretty important. How do people find a mentor? Did, did it really kind of, cause it seems like through, through your path, you've had a lot of people who re, who kind of like knew of you being like a superstar, so to speak, but you were. Thank um, you. <laughs> well, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. I mean, that's true. So how, did you really need one even? Like it felt yeah, like you were of course. kind of- I mean, here's the thing. I, because of this relationship I had with Ushanti, who's my dance teacher, right. 
I think in my world, I always knew that I could keep growing. But never, even right now. I mean, I- Do you have a mentor now? Do Same I have, it? yeah, I have tons of mentors right now. I have people who constantly inspire me to, to do more and be more. And I think, you know, we- we have to remember what a mentor is, right? right? They guide you through life, right? They're not here to, like, there, there's no point in my life where I, I would never want to be in a place where everyone's like, yeah, great, you're done. Like, yeah. you've done it all. <laughs> I don't want to ever be there. Right, so, right, right. you know, it's about what journey am I going on in my life? And I think the right mentors truly can see that inspiration, that spark in you, your talent, and help you unleash it, especially when we sometimes have blocks, right? Whether it might be society's expectations or feeling incapable of doing something, I think the right mentor comes in. And there's a lot of times in this journey where I've thought to myself, can I do this, right? And I think calling up those people, them reminding you of your why and reminding you of your capabilities is, is important to have. And I think one of the things that I think is really important is run towards people who you feel like you have this nice connection to. I think a lot of times we look for like what their title is and how like important they are and their followers and all that stuff. But we forget that it's really about someone who has that like gravitational pull towards you and yeah. vice versa. Because if it's not going to be meaningful to them too, they're not going to invest in you, right? Like I think the totally. best things about my mentor relationships is that we give to each other in a way. Like they know they've helped me so much and vice versa that it's it's one of those things where it's like any other friendship in your life or your marriage or whatever, you have to cultivate it. It's not something where you're like, let's meet every Monday at, at 2 p.m., you know? Exactly. Mentors in my life have come and go based on when I've needed them, right? There were like certain um, advisors I had in the beginning of ClassPass who were helping me with like product and operational stuff. And there's other ones I had when... Class got bigger and it was more about strategy and scaling, you know? And so I, in, in your life, like, I, I also believe that there's like personal boards of directors you kind of have. And, you know, someone like Ushanti, who is a dance teacher, when I'm looking for creative inspiration, I call her up, you know? And I think that it's about surrounding yourself with different people from different industries, yeah. right? Not all in the same place because it's not going to round you out either. I think that's a very good point because people, the ment- the, the whole thing about making it very like, meet me at two o'clock at this time, it feels very like disingenuous. Like, yeah. It's not No one wants to feel like it's work. Exactly. Yeah. And it's hard to find, you know, mentors that you click with. And what's the, what do you see the differences between like a coach or teacher and a mentor? Yeah. I mean, look, a coach, you know, is there to motivate you and help you through different like blocks in your life. I think you know, a teacher is there to give you something and actually bestow knowledge right. upon you. Teach you something. Yeah, teach you something. And I think a but mentor- isn't a mentor too? I, I think it's different. I don't think, I mean, I think teachers teach you an actual- Skill. Skill, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Or an actual learning. Um, I think it, advisors could too. Like, you know, they can introduce you to people, whatever it might be. But I think their role is really to help guide you through the journey, yeah, you know, yeah. which is a little bit different. I think coaches motivate, like they're like, keep going, you know, and keep doing it and five more reps. <laughs> That's true, exactly, like that, exactly. Yeah. What, so this guy, I think you talk about him, Fran, someone, he's a oh, president now, no, Fritz. Yeah. He's the president now, right? He, he's the president of uh, At My Body, correct. He was the CEO of ClassPass. And he, you were like, you had a lot of loyalty to him because he believed in you at the yeah, beginning. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, being, you know, being a four foot 11 Indian woman in tech in 2013, <laughs> And I mean, Fritz is like this huge, like six, five German guy, you know, it's like, it's so funny because I remember when we met, I, I didn't feel like he was judging me at all. Right? right. And I think like, that's the important thing. I think people always ask me how, what, how did you survive as a woman in tech and all of that? I'm like, I surrounded myself with people who I knew didn't see me that way. Yeah. Right. Like that. And I knew I was more than that. And I made sure that everyone around me always knew I was more than that too. Right. And I think that's really part of it is that 
I found great people like that who saw the dream and they were like, this girl is going to, they saw the tiny but mighty. Yeah, yeah tiny but mighty, exactly. <laughs> so was it hard to raise money? Like at, at, like at what, which points yes. were it really hard? I mean- The beginning was really hard. Right. And in hindsight, yes, it was probably harder because I was a woman raising money for an industry that was very women specific, right? Yeah. So a lot of times I would go out and I, I almost like in hindsight, remember this, because at the time I just didn't let it stop me. But almost every VC would say to me, hey, like, why don't you do this for personal training? Because that's what they wanted, right? As a man in tech who's obviously has a ton of money, that's like how they wanted to solve their problem because that's how, that's the problem they were encountering. That's so true. And by the way, isn't there a lot, there's a lot of those out there. Yeah, and that's great. But I'm like, I am trying to solve a problem for 99% of America who, by the way, can't afford fitness right now and don't, don't, you know, they don't even have access to it because they, they don't even know it's for them. Right. Right. How do we get that person? Because, and I think that's really the magic of ClassFest and, you know, this stat was earlier on, but um, I think 70% of the people had never done boutique fitness before in with that, that use class pass. So think about that. Think about how many new people we added to the entire industry. Wow. No, in that way. Well, right. I, I mean, that's what I found to be just phenomenal about what you did because there were people in my life who would never think of exercising or working out. They would think it was not for them. Right. But because the variety that they didn't even know exists, you don't know what you don't know. Right. right? And so when you go and say, oh, you could do this dance, you could do a Zumba class, you could do a dance class, you could do this. The, it it opened up the channels for so many people to then become more active and live better. Fitness is fun, right? Like, I think that's a big thing a lot of people have told me. And that's when I knew is when people were just like, I am craving and I'm looking forward to a workout. It wasn't an obligation of get get it done. It was truly, even for me, like, Running is more my, okay, I'm going to get it done. Yeah. But like when I go to class, like I'm like looking forward to an experience. It's just a very different thing. And I love that, you know, and I, I love that other people in the world that we've given that to everyone. Totally. They deserve I, it. I totally get that. I mean, so tell us what you do every, like, so before I said before we even started this, you you were doing, and you talked about this, you were doing like five classes a day. Right. And then going to dance class, then they're doing their dancing at night. And then you were doing your work. Like the amount of energy this little tiny but mighty girl has is like, in, do, you drink, do you drink a ton of coffee? No, and I don't drink any coffee. I drink green tea. I've drank green tea for the last 20 years of my life. And I, I swear by it. It's like, it's my therapy. Oh my God. So can you walk me through now what your day is like? What do you yeah. do like minute to not minute, not maybe minute like to minute. Big little kind of hour yeah. to hour. I mean, what time this, do you wake up? How many classes do you yeah, do now? Yeah. I mean, so I have a kid now too, so that's changing, right. but you know, he's actually not a crazy early waker. Thank God. I don't like waking. I need eight hours of sleep. Like that's a, a very big thing with me. That doesn't always happen with the kid anymore, but. Okay. So start with your night routine. What, what do you do at night to at get night, into a good morning routine? Into Okay. So a few things I do, obviously, I mean, I'll just go into it, but yeah. obviously like I want take off my makeup. I do like a skincare routine. I always take care of, I, I used to not actually do that, but I think over the last like three, four years, and I just feel like that's a really important thing. You do so, have good skin though. I, thank you. But what I, do you do? Um, I mean, I have different products I use. My, I, I use like a serum. I use a vitamin C serum. I use a lot of honest products. My friend has a, a company called Ranavat, which is great. It's like Indian Ayurvedic stuff, which is amazing. Um, so I, I, just now you use I have honest products. Stuff. Yeah, I actually I do. My ki- I, I used to use their stuff for my kids. Yeah, I do too. But I use um I I love some of her stuff actually for my skin. Wow, so, and she, I love Jess, and obviously she's probably, she's gifted me a lot, and then I just stopped. Oh, so, so sorry. Literally, um, I've just I just really like it. So I use I use that, and so I do that, and then I listen to Kirtan, which is like an Indian um spiritual. It's like 
I guess it's kind of like gospel, but I, it just soothes me. So I always listen to Kirtan for 13 minutes. And then for how long? 13? It's 13 minute song that I listen to. Like, and I usually do that through my, with my routine, oh. sort of like meditative, but I like doing that. I think it's important that we have a routine where we do that. And then I usually fall asleep it, depending on like where and what time I am. But I, um, I listen to like a five, six minute meditation thing, but I usually am asleep by the end of it, which is amazing. Yes, that would be me too um, if I was doing that. Then. Yeah. And so, so that's usually, you know, for me, what I like to do when I go to sleep. And then what time the, do you go to bed though? I usually try and sleep with baby like around 11. Okay. Yeah. And then he wakes up at between seven and seven 30. Okay. That's not terrible. Yeah. It's not. That's really good. Actually. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's like, he's pretty good. I, I have a good sleeper. Thank God. I'm going to knock on well, and no, let's not jinx it. <laughs> exactly. And before you had the baby, what time did you wake up in the morning? Um, you know, I don't believe like in alarms. I know that's really weird. I, yeah, no, only, I, I would set alarms very, I just think they like mess up your sleep cycle completely and so i would only set alarms on days when i would have a really like important meeting yeah but it probably around i don't know like eight o'clock maybe eight thirty at the latest okay i'm not like one of those early you're not wait- crazy like no i'm not but the first so first thing i do pre and then like okay right now i can't like i spend time with my son in the morning it's like my favorite time with him so try not to check my phone i really commit to being with him because i think it's an important part of my day with him i i just like not even like yeah. checking my phones and emails and all that stuff and so I'm usually with him until about nine when my, and then I have, I have a nanny who comes and then I go for my run. So usually right when she gets there, I do my run. 20 minutes still. I actually, I do 30 right now. If I'm going to, I won't do it if I'm going to class. Although look, I've gotten off of like, I go to class still. Like I love doing bar. It's just, it's harder right now with COVID and all of that. So yes. I try and do two, at least classes a week. So in there, I usually- a week. Yeah, okay, exactly. you changed it a little bit. I know. Yeah, I, yeah. Good, I mean, good. right now it's been a little bit more intense. So I know it's like, I feel like if you ask me pre-COVID and, and post, especially pre-COVID and pre-baby, my life was very different versus now. Um, but I still Tell work out and it. move a lot. And then what I'll do is like, so even if I work out and I usually do some sort of workout every day, um, I'll spend some afternoons depending on like what is going on. Obviously, I have a ton of meetings that I have to do, What you know, whether it's book stuff or other stuff going on. And then I sometimes try and like block off time in the afternoon to choreograph and like dance. And oh. I will do that. And so that's sort of my, by the way, I have made my office. It's part dance studio, part office. So that's like why is, that's exactly what I have. Yeah, in my- it's it's actually really nice. So I d- I'll dance for like an hour or two. And, you know, and some days I have rehearsal with my dance company too. So I usually have that. I try and you know, get all the work stuff done and dance stuff done by around five. And then, and then I spend five to like seven thirty eight with my, with my son. Like that's my time with him. We like go, my husband and I, we love going on walks with him, going to the park and all of that. And then, and then usually at night, I mean, once again, COVID has been a little bit different. I like going out to dinners and stuff, but I usually just like working. Like I either work on like creative projects I'm working on or I'll like watch some TV. What do you watch? I mean, let's see. I mean, I love Netflix and I like Bollywood films and any good series that you're watching. Oh, right let's now? see. What did I just watch? I mean, I've watched Squid Games and then I just started inventing Anna, which I feel like everyone's Every, probably everyone's watching. watching the same thing. I know I'm not interested in watching it, but I know everyone's watching. And it then right I, wa- I just watched finished Ozark. Um, oh, I love Ozark. Yeah. Sense. I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's a bunch of. A bunch of randoms. I watched Cheer the other. I mean, I was cheerleader for oh, ten years. I, so. was, that's, I know. So to, in order to like, kind of like, fit in with the rest, you yes. took your dancing ability to become a cheerleader. <laughs> exactly. So basically, you wake up, you go for your run. You like during the day because now you're not officially involved yep. with with yep. uh, with class pass now, right. right? So so last October when class was acquired, I decided to move forward. I since that moment have had the book. 
So I've literally right. been in like meetings, interviews, podcasts, yes. sharing this yeah. lovely book with everyone. So that's literally and the same stories. Mono- <laughs> I felt the monotony of you. I, I, I mean, know. I enjoy it. I, you know, and honestly, I think one of the things that, you know, to underscore here is I realize like my journey is representing my community. And it's an important one, right? Obviously, I'm I'm an Indian girl and not many people have told our stories. And that's why, I mean, I do talk about a lot of cultural experiences yeah. in the book. And so it's important, important for me. And I realize that. I think that's something that over time I realized is how important it is for us to see people succeed that look different, you know, because it makes other people really believe that they can be it too. And right. I didn't have many people who I could look up to that look like me growing up, you know, and I, I, I realized the importance of that. And that's why I did feel like, and I knew that this book was something that was a responsibility, you know, for yeah. me to do, to give back to my community as well, because I know so much of my success also came from the values and culture that they gave me when I was younger. So I wanted to take this moment to give back. And that's really how I thought about it. Well, I think if anyone's going to write a book about goal setting and success for that, you know, you're like a perfect person, right? Cause you've actually like walked the walk and you did it. Like you did everything. You, you did all the steps from what, I mean, I don't know you, but from what it sounds like you did everything right. You put yourself in the position to win yeah. by doing all the right things beforehand. And I think like, that's why like, I was really excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you. I really oh. appreciate it. And you know, the only other thing I want to say with that is it comes from a place of heart, right? Like I think there's a lot of obviously type A people who want to just go, go, go. And I definitely am a go, go, go person, but I like to always re-anchor with my heart, which is why the goal setting stuff starts with emotions, right? And I think that's what is sometimes missing even in the business world, right? A lot of people don't know how to go back to that heart. And I think that's what I always added to everything I did. Even with ClassWest, I just, it was always came from such a deep, authentic why. And I really, truly feel like I try and live my life that way with that purposeful meaning in everything that I do, or I don't want to do it. And I think no one's really told us how to do that. They've taught us to go, 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 go. Right. But they, or they'll teach us how to like reflect and med- meditate. But how do you tie that to the execution? Right. And that to me is, is really the combination of what I've always been able to do. And honestly, more than success, it's led me to fulfillment. Yeah. Which is really what we're all striving for. Well, that was, I'm glad that you said that because one of the things I wanted to ask you, um, which is like, what do you think of the key is for a rich life? Cause you do talk about that difference between just success. We said in the beginning of the podcast. So what do you think is the key for a rich life? Living your purpose. Right. And, and it's, it's really spending time knowing what that is and prioritizing your purpose. Right. And it's, by the way, your purpose is different than mine and every other person. So you shouldn't be looking at what other people are doing. You should be looking at what inside you view and then going for it. And to your point, what you said earlier, no one else can give you that purpose. You have to no. figure it out on your own. It's yours. And, and it's already inside you. It is. But you need to let, you need to have the self-awareness to yeah, let it to out. To hear it. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, well, this has been, a, I'm really glad that you came on this podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No, this is you're, lovely. You're awesome. <laughs> Thank and you. The I book really is called, it. no, it's true. And the book is called Life Pass. And uh, it really, I, I'm not kidding. I read the whole thing. I really, really <laughs> I liked it. it. Yay. Yeah. So thank you so much. Where do people find? I mean, you can just, well, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm on Instagram at Pyle, P-A-Y-A-L. And you can go, also go to lifepassbook.com to get a copy of the book and the goal setting workshop. Right. Well. Which is very good. We talked about that a little bit also, but there's so much in it. So you have to like get the book and you have to see it and you got to do it. You got to get paper out. You got to yes. write things down. Do it. It's do not, the, do the work. It's I, not passive. You yeah. need to actually do the work. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. John. You're welcome. Bye. Bye.
habits and hustle. Time to get it rolling. Stay up on the grind, don't stop, keep it going. Habits and hustle from nothing into something. All out, hosted by Jennifer Cohen. Visionaries, tune in, you can get to know them. Be inspired, this is your moment. Excuses, we ain't having that. The Habits and Hustle Podcast, powered by Habit Nest. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.